Hello and welcome to the 157th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they made their start making games, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developers themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game and hid moat, which in this case is West of Loathing by Asymmetric. Gentlemen, who are you and what do you do? I'm Zach Johnson. I'm the CEO and creative director of Asymmetric Games. And I'm uh, Kevin Simmons. I am a producer, business manager, and designer at Asymmetric. Right. See, first question. Well done. Out the door. <laughs> Here comes the second one. So it gets slightly harder. How did you make your start making flashy light video games? Uh, well, I, for my part, I grew up. Uh, I grew up in the '80s when you could go to a bookstore. A, there were still bookstores, uh, and on the shelves there, there were books that were listings of basic programs, uh, often games, and you could type them into your uh, your microcomputer at home, and then start to start messing around with them and, and making them your own and learning how to make them on your own. Um, professionally, it wasn't until 2003 that um, uh, I was just sort of messing around learning how to do web database stuff and made a game called Kingdom of Loathing, uh, which is a uh, browser-based sort of comedy MMORPG that is uh, still running and, and keeping our lights on to this day. Um, yes, an amazing feat. But yes, I remember, I, as I, like you, grew up in the 80s and uh, typing in listings in backs of magazines on my, on my Spectrum or my Amstrad or whatever computer I had at the time. And... Um, Finding I missed a semicolon and then the whole thing crashed. But hey, <laughs> that's coding for you. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. No, um, it hasn't. No, it's still there. Like, oh, you missed that slash. You should have put two in, not just one. <sighs> Fewer magazines publishing code. That yes. that is the only. Uh, that's the only major difference from the past. Yeah. Okay. Um, is that the same for both of you? Sorry. Kind of. I mean, I, I actually kind of fell into game development uh, as an accident. I uh, I played a bunch of games as a kid and, and played around with making games, but it was never something that I had pursued. Uh, and then I was working as a freelance photographer for uh, many years, and uh, that was not going so well. And I started actually playing uh, the game that Zach had made, Kingdom of Loathing, and uh, got to the end of the content. This was very early on in the, in the game's life. And decided just to see what kinds of, uh, I don't know, security holes it might have and started poking at the edges of it. And through a, a series of very odd circumstances, I uh, managed to like uh, get to know Zach uh, because of that. Yeah, one of the edges he found was the edge that you could peel back to reveal my phone number. Yeah, and I ended up calling him. Right. Out of the blue. That's, <laughs> so, that's, uh, that's interesting. That was an interesting put, thing to put in your uh, in your code there. If, if you found it, go you. <laughs> Um, if you're anonymous, please don't kill me. Um, sorry, that's wrong. But uh, yeah, um, that's uh, it's, it's it's quite a, quite a thing. You obviously into visual aspects of things. Both of you are, but uh, to to delve into the, the video game creation is no mean feat. I mean, why I always say to to guests and I congratulate them on finishing a game sounds patronising, but it isn't. The, the act of completing a game, uh, the creation of one, is a phenomenal feat. Uh, and an MMO never, is never really finished, is it, really? That's what I was going to say. I was like, we'll let you know when we finish the game, because we haven't yet. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, we, we have until later this afternoon to really finish uh, West of Loathing, and, and I guess we have until we die to finish Kingdom of Loathing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I mean, it's obviously West of Loathing is a, it's a, a branch or an inspiration for direct links to, to um, Kingdom of Loathing. So... Um, what are your biggest influences as creators? Do you think? I think you know, on the, yeah. On the game side, I think the things that have that I can I can only sort of look back in in retrospect and see this now. But I think the things that were the most significant influences on me were probably the Space Quest series, yeah, the Sierra Online games for sure, uh, and and weirdly specifically uh, the Lucas Arts game Zach McCracken and the Alien Mindbenders, right. Um, not not because I think that it, that that game really holds up as a as an overall work necessarily, but just the opening few rooms of that game had so many little jokey things that you could mess around with, and that just sort of 
I think opened my eyes to the possibility of how much joy you can just cram into little details without it actually being all that much work or anything that I don't know really says anything or even has an effect on the way the game plays out. Um, Heroes Quest was was big for me. The fact that there were it was a game world you could pick a character class, play through the game, and then go back to that same world and you would encounter the same problem but have a different tool set and have to think of a different solution to the problem was extremely compelling to me and very satisfying. Yeah, that series became Quest for Glory, but yeah. um, for, for a while before Mattel uh, sued right. them whenever it was called Heroes Quest. Yeah, um, um, I, I've i been watching um, some Twitch streams, not usual League of Legends stuff. No offense to anyone who does like that stuff, but it's not for me um, because it's, you know, MOBAs. What are you going to do? Um, but as, as a chap on there, I highly recommend who's just going through every DOS adventure game ever made. Hmm. And uh, he's just one of them was you know Quest for Glory, and uh, he's been playing through those, and uh, he's having a whale of a time going through this, and you just marvel at how clunky they were. Um, but the, the back of then they were like the pinnacle of like game design, but now it's like, oh dear. But you know it's 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 a remarkable thing to see this that how 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 evolution of games over the last thirty years is. You know, one of the greatest things, the technology has changed, of course it has, but ultimately game design, I think that's something that's leapt and changed and altered and got for the better over the last few years. Would you two agree? Uh, Absolutely. In fact, I think that, like, Thimbleweed Park is a perfect example of that. Like, it is, it it is, I think, on, on, it is, it is good in all of the same ways that, that those old adventure games were good, but it is not bad in the way that almost all of them were bad. Yes. Uh, I think it, it really, and, and I mean, you know, partly that's, it's, it's, uh, Ron Gilbert is the same person <laughs> making it. And so he had a lot of time to think about it, I guess. But, um, but partly it's just, yeah, I mean, I, old genres don't have to vanish in video games the way that I, I feel like they kind of, I mean, there, there aren't. I don't know. Maybe this is a, a, a really naive thing to say, but like, there's not a lot of like new classical music being composed. Right? New black and white movies are pretty rare. Pretty rare, yeah. But with video games, I think that a it's just been a lot less time, and b even five years on, so much just sort of cultural knowledge has come to the way that games are made that you'll end up with a totally different, always better experience. It's really exciting to see in in other kinds of games as well, just a, a sort of a revitalization of let's make a game that's like the 16-bit games. Let's make a game that's like the 8-bit games. And, and they are using those sensibilities, but with modern tools and, and capabilities. And it's what people are making is really impressive. It's, it's lovely to see, isn't it? Because it's often I say to developers, you know, yes, it looks like a 16-bit game, but we all know that no 16-bit computer could possibly, or machine could possibly <laughs> do what you're doing. But yeah, I know. It, it would just it would be brought to its knees uh, yeah. even if it tried to do all the stuff we're asking it to do because the flow of animation, the, the parallax scrolling, all sorts of nonsense flying around. Uh, it just uh, I can't do Please stop! Please stop! Um, but um, if anything, it's more like thirty-two bit or even stronger to actually require to do that kind of thing. But sure. it is. It is. Um, the, yeah, I've, I've said it often. I do. I mean, I do. I have a lot of retro machines and retro games as well, and that kind of thing. And they have their place. But I, I have no time for people. So I don't. I mean, people say I don't. They don't make them like they used to. And I say, well, thank God for that. You know, yeah. it's it's. Um, have you played those old games? Those old NES games? I mean, they were just ridiculous i mean ridiculously difficult um i mean i was streaming castlevania uh last weekend uh, on my on my um gamecube it was a game boy game and i sort of shoved it in the front of the gamecube and i was just streaming that and uh dear god it's just like it, it, yeah it, the, just, luckily you know we have we have emulators with save states now so we, we can do. sort of we can just pretend that we're very very good at those games you know, like we would have been as as kids because we didn't have a job or anything important that we had to do, and so and there was only one. You got one game a week or a month or a year, and that was the game you played. So you spent a bunch of time perfecting it. You know? One game yeah. a week. Look uh, at, look at Mr. Fancy, yeah. rich kid. Well, yeah, you, you could you could have rented it, but then again, you know, again, that's, <laughs> that's the, also true. Uh, um, something that didn't happen in, U- in the UK. We generally had the spectrums and the. Compute, 8-bit computers. It's lovely the Americans now know this and they want to know more about what we were doing at the same time. Uh, but we didn't, we'd had like games that we, we bought for £2 
uh, they actually called them 199 games and they came on cassette because you loaded them on cassette and mm-hmm. sometimes they were great some most of the time yeah not so great but hey at least you had loads of them yeah, I think um, in in cities here yeah. there was more of a more of a scene of being able to get access to stuff like that. But uh, I, like Kevin and I both grew up in, in, the in woods. yeah in the woods basically, <laughs> right. and so you know we would we would occasionally make a trip to the town a hundred miles away that had a radio shack and where you could get a you could get a new game. But um, but it's just going back on the point. It's just the, the evolution of of games over the last thirty years has been phenomenal. I think one of the great drivers behind that is people are talking to each other, right? Yeah, the internet. Yeah, the internet. And GDC, I guess. Sure. Um, so, um, that's, so, so that's an immediate response to my question about you know, what influences you and you saying that, well, certainly the history of games. And is there anything else in the universe that you find yourself orbiting going, yep, I think I keep on revolving around that and that's what, uh, what comes through into my creative endeavours? I think puns... <laughs> that's that that's probably you know and and just generally like uh, uh i don't know you're you're like hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy style of written humor hmm. uh, and all of the things that that it spawned which is really kind of i think that style is a pretty defining characteristic of most of the things on the internet that are funny now at least in in writing and so kind of growing up alongside all of that I think um, websites like uh, like the Brunching Shuttlecocks that was a big influence on me in terms of like oh okay the, it's okay to just put stuff on the internet where it really its only value is that it's funny or or has some clever piece of wordplay in it or, or whatever. Hmm. Okay. And that's I think explains the the real heavy writing focus of the games that we make. We all just love that stuff. I did notice that it's 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 not too verbose. Otherwise, it wouldn't have you good. on. Um, <laughs> because it's very dangerous to have a wall of text in a video game. Uh, and they do, you know, and it's fine if you... I find some developers sort of get around that by going, well, if you voluntarily look at, search this text down and read it, then that's, that's your own fault, isn't it? And that's fine. I suppose that's how they did it with Destiny, but that's a discussion for another time. But with West of Loathing, it's, it's rather different. It's um, the conversations you have. is They're very interesting and the people in it are very interesting um for all the good reasons but they're they're not they don't seem to be acting rationally which is perfect because why would you (laughs) in the world that they they find themselves in why would they be rational um so i'm gonna ask you the next question this question is difficult to answer i've found because people don't want to hurt anyone's feelings but what developer do you most in the industry and why that's the both of you, Kevin. And what what Jack. developer do we what, sorry? Yeah, admire. I missed the verb in that sentence. Maya, who do you most doth your cap to and say, yes, keep doing what you're doing. That's awesome. I would say Stephen Lavelle. Uh, so uh, published a sort of platform for making puzzle games called PuzzleScript, which has been tremendous. Uh, it's, it's sort of opened up that possibility space to a bunch of people who didn't think that they could make games before. Uh, and then also made probably one of my favorite games of all time called Steven Sausage Roll, uh, which is just sort of the, the a magnum opus of puzzle design. Everyone, um, this is the fourth guest now that's told me about this game, and like I really, really need to get this game. It is it is yeah. difficult game, but it is right. uh, like as someone who appreciates puzzles and has spent a lot, spends a lot of time sort of thinking about puzzles, uh, it is one of the just finest crafted pieces of puzzle artwork uh, ever made. Okay. It's incredible. I, it, it, you're right that it's hard to nail down a, a single person. I think I might just uh, just punt on it and say that there, <laughs> there are several people that I ad- admire for specific and very different reasons. I think Michael Bro mm. uh, is someone who is very committed to finding the kind of simplest possible way to express a gameplay idea and then making a game that is just that and has no extraneous pieces no fluff no yeah. no walls of text That's fantastic um i i admire chris avalone as a writer a lot just for his ability to i think basically write in so many different genres all of which are things that 
either I'm already interested in or he manages to make me care about, I don't know, like say uh, Alpha Protocol was a game, the subject matter of that game, I don't think that I ever would have played it, but seeing his name on it made me think, oh, you know what, I bet this is good. And it turns out it was, and I really enjoyed it. And I think the the ability to kind of cross genres, but still maintain that kind of, uh, I don't know, just unselfconscious, like, this is awesome sort of uh yeah feeling and just like you know it's just it's just cool like he's not he's not afraid to employ cliches if he thinks that they will get the job done of giving you an awesome experience of a thing and and you know for there to for him to be able to make things that are so verbose so compelling i think is a is a trait that i admire a great deal Mm. um you know, I mean, I, other other notables like George Fan. I think like uh, Plants vs Zombies is one of the best design games that I have ever encountered. Yeah, that was an amazing, amazing thing to like. This this can't possibly work. It'll be fine. Trust me. But, but, yeah, no um, one likes tower defense anymore. It'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. That no, was amazing. Um, yeah. Emily Short, oh, I God. I admire a great deal uh, as as someone who is in. Uh, uh, a genre that that many people would describe as dead, but kind of refuses to die. I think in large part due to the efforts of of, of her and her community. Um, that her game Counterfeit Monkey is probably the, also the cleverest game that I have ever played. Top ten games, I think. Yeah. Ever. Um, so yeah, sorry, sorry to not have a not have a single answer there, but no, I think no, that you know, really, as, really as, is. You, yeah, really as is. you said, like games games are such a multidisciplinary thing that it's it, it's hard to. Uh, it's hard to be reductive about any aspect of them, I think. Yeah, I mean, you do have polymaths to do all of the things, but they're quite rare. Uh, and um, to do it well is extremely difficult. So, but you're right. I think I've, I've had people say, pause and go, Nintendo? And then they reveal <laughs> why. And like, okay, that's a fine answer. It is. <laughs> or, you know, for the inspiration one, they've or influence, they've said, my dog? Okay? Okay? And then they go on to reasons why. But uh, sure. all, every answer is valid and, and great and fine. But yours is, I mean, high praise indeed as well. Some of the games you listed there. Uh, I need to delve into those clearly. I'm a bad person. So, last question of the first half. See, look, you almost made it. See, this is it's like the mini boss halfway through. But uh, this is my favourite little question because it gives me an idea of what kind of things make you tick as regards to video games. Um, what are you playing right now? Uh, I'm always playing Hearthstone in a, in a, on a different monitor, <laughs> more or less. Um, right. I'm trying to think, I, I recently, because we've been sort of in the crunch to finish West mm-hmm. of Loathing, I haven't really bitten into as many chunky things, but, uh, I finished Prey most recently. That was probably the biggest, most recent thing that did I played. You, and even that was a few months ago. At this could point. you expand a little bit on that? How was that? I mean, did you How, enjoy it? I, yeah. I did a great deal, actually. I, I'm, I'm a real sucker for, uh, for the, the Deus Ex or, uh, or, uh, Dishonored. I kept. I couldn't think of anything except the word Uncharted. I've never played an Uncharted game, but that's apparently what I thought Dishonored was called. Right. Um, just those the the big kind of immersive Sims and sort of the more fantastical they get, the better for me. Um, you know, I've, I spent a tremendous amount of time in the in the Bethesda games. Uh, that's for my money. That's really where it's at when I have the time to to play them. Okay. Yeah. I. I in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's um, it's it's you do have choices in how to overcome things, but you're still following a single narrative, aren't you? Yeah, I mean it's it's a little more you know sort of linear story focused than than something like a Skyrim, obviously, but mm. um, but it's you know it, it 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 manages to feel more expansive than it is, which I think is always good because you. You can give the player a sort of sense of wonder about what else might be in the world without actually overwhelming them with choices, which people think that they want, but they I don't think that they really do want to be overwhelmed with choices. No. No, that's, um, yeah, being spoiled for choice is a cliche, and it is true. You know, how many, how many times have I stood in front of my gaming rack going, I have nothing to play. Racks, racks, things. <laughs> it's just it's obscene. Or looking at your Steam list again, I, I, I know, don't know. And uh, okay, is that anything else? Uh, 
Yeah, what are you playing, Kevin? Yeah, uh, well, sort of big game-wise, I'm I'm still uh, probably 90% of the way through uh, Deus Ex Mankind Divided. Uh, but I have just, because we've been so working so hard on West of Loathing, I have just put that... Uh, away until until we ship you're not uh, gonna remember who you are when you come back to it i i actually it's it's weird i know exactly where i am in the game and i've been thinking about it as sort of like a motivation like oh i get to play that again when mm. i I'm, it's like this reward that i get to dangle in front of myself like a carrot we were busy with something when starcraft 2 came out oh, uh, but we're still gonna play uh we're still gonna play it uh co-op uh, yeah two two v two uh uh, any, any day now. All three it's parts five, have come it's been out. Five now, years. So yeah, you, I know. All three parts have come out. Now, There's so. a co-op campaign. Uh, there which, is? Yeah. Which really? that's a thing we're gonna oh, we're gonna do awesome. after this game ships. Okay. That's or exciting. five five have, years from now, we'll complain that we. I didn't do have, have a folder on my Steam library that's a post ship uh, binge. Uh, nice. So hopefully I'll get that. Nice. Uh, but but because I've been restricting myself to like smaller games uh, while I've been working on West of Loathing, uh, Fidel Dungeon Rescue is the game that I've been playing most recently. Uh, it is a little puzzle game that is really, really clever. There's, It's got a lot of depth to it that is not obvious at first uh, and is extremely satisfying. I'm, I'm a big puzzle game fan. If you Clearly, yes. So you're so. Big, in, big into threes. God, thank you. Uh, yeah, I like threes as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, Sidewords is a, is a game that uh, was recently re- released that's sort of like a... A sort of word puzzle game, which is pretty good. Uh, yeah, puzzle game is a weird descriptor because it it like both means something like Tetris yeah. and something like Steven Sausage Roll, which yeah. could not be more different. Yep. Yeah. I think Kevin yeah. Kevin is you know enjoys a Tetris, but is more on the side of a of a My of an favorite. Alan Hazelden yeah. uh, uh, crazy Sokoban variant or something. The sure. thing about Tetris is ultimately yes, it is a puzzle game, but there's also a lot of dexterity involved sure. and forward thinking. Like well, I'm going to do that because that's coming up. The amount of times I'm just, I'm one of those players, I'm just I'm horrible to watch playing Tetris. So I'm like, oh, oh I'll, just, I'll just react. Oh, look, there's the one. I'll just shove that in. Oh, what's that one? Oh, that one. Okay, I'll shove that in. No planning at all. And uh, <laughs> it's exhausting to watch. When I'm playing board games, it's just as bad. It's like, I'll just react to stuff. Like, well, that's going to happen. I can move that piece there then. There you go. There you go. What? There's no logic, no reason, no. You can't plan against me. It's it's great. So um, just I'm just chaotic man in the corner being weird. So um, unless there's anything else, I mean, we want to talk about it, about, about their sex and well, why why are you enjoying it so much? Is it well, is it to stand up to uh, scrutiny against the original? Uh, it it is not as good, I think, as the as the original or uh, Human Revolution, but it is it is satisfying it, it definitely scratches an itch that is that is really satisfying i think somebody was it was it jim somebody, somebody called them uh oh gary gary butterfield, gary butterfield. referred Thank to you. the genre as vent crawlers vent crawlers yeah i uh i like that description but i'm i i very much like the the system shock uh deus ex sort of games uh just the the exploration of a of a large space that is feels open world but is obviously very linear um and then the character progression uh it's like kind of a kind of crack for my for my brain uh for me the appeal of those games is not just the choices and you can, you can do you can solve things in various manners that's fine that's great that's lovely what i love about it is being putting your character in places it ought not be mm-hmm. and trying not to be discovered and, I, I, uh, enjoy, uh, I enjoy climbing and jumping on things and uh, trying to like find weird vantages. And yeah, it's just yeah, Kevin delighted in figuring out how to get into developer-only areas in World of Warcraft oh, yeah. and jumping outside the map and stuff. That's uh, that's spent, that's what makes him so valuable doing QA for yeah. <laughs> for our games. I spent I spent an entire day uh, when I was playing World of Warcraft several years ago, just uh, swimming all the way around the entire map. Uh, which is a very slow process. And I think not- the closest I got to try and do things like that is there's a little dwarf airport near yeah, Ironforge. Yep. And uh, I think most players of World of Warcraft at one time have said, what is that? There's nothing... Yeah, because you, no- can, you can see it from one of the flight paths. Right. Yeah, you see it from one of the flight paths. and like, how do you get there? You can't. Um, there was a time when you could... But there's nothing there. There's just people. But I never actually did it because by the time I got around to doing it, they fixed the. There's a little texture in the mountain you could jump on, and then mm. it, it was wrong, and then you could jump off it and stuff. But uh, they fixed it by the time I got around to try and get to it. I think there is videos and that sort of thing. People get into it now. You can fly anywhere you like now, so it's easy. But back then, I do remember that. But yes, 
um, pushing the boundaries of things as you clearly like doing. Um, yeah. This is great. So, well, that's it for the first half. Well done. Um, we're now going to delve deep and uh, to the core of the show, really. And we're going to delve deep into West of Loathing. First question isn't a question. It's um, basically the zeroth question. What is West of Loathing? Tell us, what is it? Uh, Kevin's better at this than I am. Okay. okay. Uh, it is a slapstick stick figure uh, adventure role-playing game uh, set in the Wild West. Uh, a shorthand that we like to use is it's a, it's a, a stick figure Skyrim with beans and big hats. Um it's uh, it draws a lot of inspiration from games like Paper Mario and like uh, we talked about before Heroes Quest or Quest for Glory. Uh, so it's it's kind of a ridiculous uh, open world uh, joke delivery system. It's kind of splits the difference genre wise between an adventure game and an RPG. Yeah. Yes, uh, I couldn't put it better myself. It um, there is when you look at it, a glance at it, and see it in anim- and working and moving, you think. What is this like a, like a comic strip creation device? What what is this? <laughs> uh, and um, it's very it it belies what's running underneath, which is something phenomenal. There's layers upon layer upon layer of things going on that you just need to dig just a little bit, and then you find more things, and then more things, and more things. And it just keeps on rewarding you every time you, you push it and explore more and more. I find myself lingering in areas that I need to, should have got left some time ago because I just want to know what else you've cooked up. Um, <clears throat> so this uh, leads me on to my first sort of design question. There's a focus on player discovery within West of Loathing that encourages exploration. How have you designed this area to allow this to be intuitive but not obvious i i think you kind of put your finger on it just there when you said that you you can keep finding things after it would have been okay for you to leave right like Mm -hmm. what most of the things that are on the critical path of the game are just it just tells you right where to go and what to do and the overwhelming majority of the content lies in just you know, if you go look at this thing, you'll learn about another thing that you can look at or another something that you can ask a character about. And, and then it, it, it just kind of spider webs out naturally based on whatever the player is doing. Mm. Um, and so we just kind of needed to make sure that anytime there was a anytime there's an element in a scene, like we should at least write a joke about it if the player tries to interact with it. And that is what almost all of the things that you encounter are is just a one line joke but then every once in a while one of them you know gives you an item that you can then take somewhere and do something else with and it or unlocks a new location or yeah and, and i think it, that stuff kind of just comes naturally out of our progress out of our process because uh you know the the fidelity of our of our assets and the amount of like work that it takes to make something in the game is pretty low comparatively speaking so any time any one of us has a dumb idea for a thing to put in we just do it because it's like faster to build the thing than it is to workshop it or to ask somebody else if it's a good idea (laughs) or 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 to like sit there and really think about it and then talk yourself out of it because it's too dumb and so we just end up with stuff everywhere and it's like you know it all ends up with like 
I don't know. It's it's of a level of quality that it like might not be your thing, but if it is your thing, I've got great news for you. There's a lot. There's of a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. um, I think the key to making jokes or triggering jokes or dropping that that bomb of a word or phrase halfway through a conversation. First thing is what is, isn't everyone else thinking this? Like, no, they're not, <laughs> and that's why it's funny. And also, it's just never, ever, ever overthink or overanalyze a joke because if you do. It ceases to be funny. It's a kind of basic, sort of, you know, human behaviour. But if you're trying to, you know, understand the cadence and uh, the, the 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 rhythm of a joke, then it's not. What are you doing? You know, it's is it funny? Is it does it make you laugh? Shove it in. Yeah, you, you there's know, definitely like, a place for those conversations and that kind of analysis, but yeah. it, it's mm. like it's in private. We're you know? not trying to make like a a, a tuned hour long stand-up comedy set where i feel like that actually is valuable where you just tell the same jokes over and over again and see how they're they're being received and then yes. refine them and, and cut yes. them that kind of thing we are instead providing 40 hours <laughs> of sort of comedy shotgun yeah. <laughs> yes i was gonna say it but you said it yeah it is a comedy shotgun it's like some of it's gonna stick some of it isn't i yeah i personally like the pathos and the dry desert dry humor that some of the characters emit like oh bloody hell it's just like wow I need to get a drink. It's just, you know, it's um, <laughs> it's really, really, it's just like there's a doctor in the original town of the first town you go into, not much of a spoiler, when you finally encounter this woman. She's in a bad way. And yeah. uh, mm-hmm. for you to turn it around, there's some just ridiculous exchanges about alcohol, uh, which I won't go into for fear of spoiling it, but it is very, very funny. And it's um, pretty, you know, it's um, self-aware. I mean, the whole game is yeah, self-aware. I think I think that we can we can get away with some sort of clumsy handling of of serious issues or, or brushing off stuff that is really pretty horrifying if you think about it, just because of the way the game looks and because you know, in between every every two beats of the the sort of existential horror, there's some pun about existential <laughs> horror. So it's um. But yeah, it's great. And, you know, we've just been, we've been, you know, me and the other, uh, other guy, Riff Connor, who does, he does about 80% of the writing, almost all of the, the dialogue. Um, I do a lot more of the just kind of one-off one line stuff, but we've been, we've been working together and developing this style along with, a uh, another guy, Josh Knight, who was a writer for KOL for many, many years. Um, and we've just gotten really good at producing a lot of material really consistently and a, and a house style just kind of developed on its own and mm. again that's just another pipeline thing where it's like there's never there's never a time when we're like i i mean every once in a while i will i will write in a thing uh i can't think of a joke here and then i put a note on it for riff to think of a joke there and he always can and vice versa it's just uh we've we've just we've been you know, we've been writing the same kind of material for 15 years and it's just i don't know it comes really naturally to us it's just kind of who we are we, that's how we talk when we hang out in real life. It's it's all kind of the same. Combat then, for my next question now, is initially quite simple, but it gets a little bit more complicated as the adventure progresses to a point. Can you explain it and how it was designed? Yeah, we um. So we we've long been kind of frustrated by. The, by a lot of the design decisions that I made many, many years ago for KOL's combat. Um, right. And we were, we were excited to, uh, to create a framework where there was a little bit more variety to play with. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I, I think that it is not to, a, not to be a bad promoter, but I think the combat is definitely the least well-developed thing about this game. And I, you know, as, as launch looms closer and closer, I, I, I can see a lot of the cracks in it. And I think that, you know, most most of the the beta testers have said, you know, the combat's fine. It doesn't really get in the way. Um, but it's not there are there is a sequence where there are some very specifically designed fights that I think work a lot better. Uh and shove. I don't know if you found the the fort where the wargaming guys are are playing. Uh, yes. But yeah. So I, I like those fights a lot better as a as a showcase of the system that we developed and then and then had a little bit of trouble filling out and and reconciling with the amount of choice that the player has in their in their character development. Um there are definitely certain things that do different if I had it to do over again. 
that said, I think it is fine. I mean, we just tuned it to be pretty easy, so it doesn't really get in the way. There's a hard mode if people really want to dig into it. Um, but yeah, it's it was it was interesting trying to design. It, it, Paper Mario was a real watchword there, mm. but then we got further and further away from it as we as we realized, you know, Paper Mario does not let you make very many choices about your character. Yeah. Uh, it's like sometimes there's a three instead of a one, and that's about it. But we've got a lot more world to fill up with stuff, and and we tend to want to be really generous with numbers while also keeping numbers small, which are those things don't work together. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we just wanted something that was more interesting than the just one-on-one JRPG combat of Kingdom of Loathing. Because in, 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 in Kingdom of Loathing, the, the combat, the individual fights themselves are not sort of the interesting thing about playing it. It's the kind of m- metagame decisions that you're making about what to fight and when uh, that are the kind of heart of that gameplay. And we wanted to try to make this as much a part of the game as anything else. Okay. In KOL, there's it's, the the fights are at least for new players are sort of just a joke delivery mechanism because all the hit and miss messages are sort of various jokes. But then after you've played the game for a week or two, you've seen a lot of the the content like that. There isn't an infinite amount of uh, text in that regard, and so then it becomes kind of a a mechanical thing. And we don't think that that mechanical thing is necessarily all that strong. And so we were trying to make. The, the combat in West of Loathing, sort of a better mechani- mechanical system. And I think the framework is is good, and I think we just have not... Um, I think that's an area where we could we could probably continue to polish it, actually, after release. Yeah. It, uh, it's just, it it's, and it's also a thing that got a little bit, like, unfortunately deprioritized during development, yeah. because something always does, you know, and it, and it was... It's, it's passable. It's more important that there be a bunch of funny jokes that we put in front of people uh, than, than the combat be really polished. Because nobody's going to come to this game to because they're looking for a, a really deep combat simulator, but they will come to the game because it's jokes. And then, and then if the combat is interesting, that's a plus. Yeah. Uh, but we also made the games, designed the game such that you could avoid most of the combats because we know a lot of people want to do that. Yeah. And, and that, that became more and more of a focus as development went on. Now, like the, I had had the idea that like, well, we're going to make it possible to never get into a fight. Uh, and still be able to finish the game. But we ended up designing like all of the kind of major through lines to be completable without ever getting into a fight, um, which was not something that we were anticipating to begin with. And that, I think, also just kind of contributed to the slightly reduced focus on the combat system. Yeah, and also it allows for, you know, it can be open play, it can be a complete pacifist. You don't have to go down a cannon and kill all those those, those snakes if you don't want to. You don't have to dig yeah. up graves and kill skeletons if you don't want to. That's fine. We basically never force you into a fight. Yeah. We, we still occasionally will find something where we've done a bad job of scripting and we put the player in a situation where you cannot avoid a fight, but you can always like at least <clears throat> surrender. And there's also that, you know, you part of the thing that you're doing in the prologue is choosing a, a horse to take with you through the Indeed. game. And yes. those, those horses change the random encounters that you get and the ways that you can respond to them. And mm-hmm. there is one horse that you can recover that doesn't require any combat in the prologue. And that's the one that allows you to avoid combats in the main game so it it's you know we try to make it pretty clear that that's a supported playstyle to begin with um mm. i don't know how well that horse mechanic actually comes across on your first playthrough it was it was immediately clear to at least a couple beta testers okay so i, I feel i feel confident that some people will get it they will get it yeah excellent yeah i do like recovering the horses it's quite funny um most of the games are funny um so uh, there's um character classes which is definitely a callback to the older RPGs we were talking about earlier on the show. Um, how important are they in that? How does it influence how the game plays out, or is it um, more subtle than that? Well, uh, so there, if you're not fighting, it's a little less of a, of a, a difference between the way that the classes play. Um, the the costs of leveling up stats and skills varies depending on what your class is. So if you are if you pick the sort of wizardy class, it's going to be easier for you to to ramp up the mysticality stat than it is the muscle stat. And so you're gonna you're gonna be presented with more solutions to puzzles that involve high mysticality than than you would be as a different character class. Um, each of the classes has their own entirely distinct speech skill there's like intimidating uh uh for for the muscle class 
outfoxing for the mysticality class and hornswoggling for the moxie class. And that changes all of the writing associated with like, basically we, there aren't like situations where you can only intimidate your way through something like anywhere that now well, maybe there are, a there are a couple, there are a couple where things where for, they're, they're asymmetrically designed for the most part, whenever you are presented with a speech skill option, if you were a different class, you would be using a different speech skill there. And, and there's right. different writing. They, for yeah. They have a tre- the, the, the writing varies tremendously and the rewards vary tremendously uh, yep. across those. Um, there are some different. Uh, there's each each class has a sort of a crafting system that gets unlocked, and so mm-hmm. those are some of them are more valuable for combat, and some of them are more valuable for out of combat stuff. Um, that's, I guess, that's about all I can think of. You get some different quest rewards depending on what class yeah. you are. There are some. There are some like just straight up. I can solve this in this way because I am a bean slinger. Yeah. kind of things. Um, but yeah, it's. A, it definitely has the most impact on combat and how that plays, yeah. for sure. Okay. This is something that struck me. Like, oh, that's lovely to have that in there. Um, let's go with this. you know. And um, I just want to impress upon people, because some people think, think, oh, that's just another joke. It's a joke about, it's a meta joke. Like, no, actually, no. No, that, that, that's, that does actually matter. <laughs> you know, that you really, you know, what they're called and how they're describing it and y'all and stuff like that. That's fine. I mean, the <laughs> fact that your inventory is called your stuff. Is just yeah, it's, it's great. Um, speaking of which, humor with with the U, um, uh, two U's actually. Uh, it seems to be more. Um, it's core, of core to West of Loathing. But I'm going to ask you this sort of question. It's a little bit loaded, but how has humor informed certain aspects of game design, and if so, how? I mean, assuming it has. Sorry, sort of mangled question. But what I'm saying is, sorry, we we, we 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 Okay. How has humor informed? Yeah, how is the humor in the game? Um, how has it informed aspects of the game design? Sorry, what can you try one yeah, more Yeah, our time? Skype connection yeah, is yeah. allergic. It, it went a bit Whatever off the word after inform is. Yeah, so <laughs> how has okay. the humor... So, okay, so I'm asking, how has the humor um, informed aspects of the game design, if at all? I think... Um, we will we will sometimes come up with like a dumb joke skill to have and then think well this probably ought to pay off in some way so then we'll design game systems around the dumb joke that was written first we, we will often go to extreme lengths to make a joke happen it, like we'll spend entire days populating an area just because we had a, a particular joke or idea that I think like a, a serious studio would not think that that was an okay use of, of time or resources. Yeah, and definitely the things that we, the things that I at least struggled with in the in the design process was gaps where it was like, oh, there should be a mine here, and then figuring out what goes in that mine from a sort of like thematic top down, as opposed to I had a funny idea for a thing, which then just kind of makes it right itself. But then it gets hard to sort of balance gameplay around it. So it, there, there's there's challenges in either way. But we we definitely do better with the joke down design than we do the top down design. So like I'm I can, I, to this is a, I guess a small spoiler. It's not really an important one per se. Um, it, it sort of might ruin a little bit of a surprise. But so we one of the things we did early on in the process was come up with a list of things that you would find expect to find in the West. Um, yes. And in on that list was Ghost Town, right? And so that was on the list for a while, and we had said, okay, well, we'll have a couple of Ghost Towns. Mm-hmm. And then when it came time to actually drop them in the game, we're like, well, huh, what's that? How how is that interesting to have like an empty town with nobody there? And then right, the game's already full of cemeteries yeah. and catacombs and stuff. Like this, what what do we have to say in like a what was traditionally the only spooky environment in a western? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the solution that we had to that was just well, what if it's a joke, and then just running with that all the way to the end. And I think it turned out really well. Um, and instead of having multiple ghost towns, we just have one, and it's very particular. And it's I think it's a it's another sort of highlight for for some people. I think it will be a highlight of the of the game in the way that it plays out. Yeah, an anchor point, if you will. Yeah, um, that's yeah. often often <clears throat> the solution to a creative problem that we're struggling with turns out to be a joke 
you know, right, and, yeah. and so we, we arrive at a lot of that stuff like, oh, OK, that is the kernel around which we can solve this and it will seem like something that we've done. Right. Mm -hmm. it, it's more it's more problems of the what is this or what does the player do here or why is this thing here? What purpose does this serve that the answer to that question is usually coming up with the right joke? Yeah. Well, gentlemen. Thank you very, much, very much for sharing your experiences and your your thoughts in creating um, West of Loathing. It's um, it's been a pleasure. It's out soon. When is it out again? It's uh, Thursday, it's... August tenth. So, a well, couple of days. Well done for for sharing your mm -hmm. time here with us uh, at the time of recording. By the time it's out, it's um, the game is out. West of Loathing out on Steam, um, Windows PC, any other platforms? Uh, Linux and Mac. Uh, at launch and then uh however uh, some small number of months down the down the line uh we're uh, looking at an ios launch too we got to figure out some things about that but um we've been demoing it on ipads for a really long time and it, the game works really well in that uh mm. in that scheme but it's just a matter of figuring out you know how to get anyone to pay any, any amount of money <laughs> yeah. at all for a game on the ios oh. app store uh, I don't mind doing so, that. I've I've spent you know I've bought games for ten pounds and that sort of thing. If they are, you know, that's I mean it's a very strange world and you 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 think oh it's you know I buy a game on Steam for thirty pounds or thirty dollars that's fine. As soon as it, the mm -hmm. same game, exactly the same game arrives on iOS or and like, I'm not paying any money for that. I'd much rather yeah. sit there. I mean, and I think pay, you know. You know it's just you, you you would pay ten pounds for a game, but probably not one that you just saw an ad for in the app store, right? Like you'd have to somebody would have to have told you that that game was worth, Yo, yes, worth paying for, and so that's right, the yes. and that's the. I mean, I think having having what we hope will be a successful PC release will solve that problem to us to some extent. Mm. But you know, we might end up we might end up having to do the like super mario run kind of thing where you can play a little bit of the game and then we just charge you full price for the rest of it once you're That's... in there and like by by that point we've lost you if you don't like our stuff and if you do like yeah. our stuff you probably like it enough to give us a significant amount of money so that's that's probably the successful model and it worked very well with loathing stuff well if you want to go to the next town you're gonna to have to yeah. pay out so yeah there you go that, that can easily be done it's not so much um you know the first one is free it's like basically a demo <laughs> You know, um, they used to do yeah. that all the time on Xbox Live and um, PS. Yeah, and I mean so, old shareware PC games. You know, Doom, <laughs> yes. Doom had classically it, it, that model. And did, if anything, uh, you know, if, if if nothing else, I think I hope to be remembered as the the Doom of of 2017, <laughs> uh, West of Loathing, Doom 2017. Well, like I said, gentlemen, it's been fantastic having you on. Um, and I do appreciate your candor and sharing your your thoughts and knowledge about creating this extraordinary game and like i said it is it stands out that's why i wanted to have you on because i remember it's a standout memory for me from last year's packs so i'm very happy to have you on and to chat about this well thank you for uh, saying so it was uh, it was a delight yeah i'm glad you got something out of it and uh, i wish you the very very best of luck in your future endeavors and you're more than welcome to come back on to talk about what next you've done or made fantastic that sounds great and so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review. And you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me, any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer you listen to the show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong.com also don't forget to check out the computer game show which is the stablemate podcast should we say of spong.com bye <laughs>